Welcome to the podcast of Revival Life Church, a spirit-filled multicultural church in Boca Raton, Florida. If you would like more information about Revival Life Church or Pastor Carl Thomas, you can find us on the web at revivallife.church. Going the way of Jesus. You say amen. Going the way of Jesus. As I spoke earlier, we get one of those funny things that happens when we become Christians. We, we go from darkness to light. Our life radically changes. We don't know anything about God, and we're so excited about it. And we don't think that we'll ever fully, truly know Him. He's so amazing. And then in a mere matter of months, Jesus and the Bible becomes familiar. And we feel like we know it all. We feel like we got it all figured out. And all of a sudden, without even knowing it, we went from being born-again Christians to just religious folk. Just maybe a little better morals. Maybe you're not doing the drama you did before, but we just become religious and we don't even know it. And we've been talking at Revival Life Church about slowing down to the speed of Jesus so we can understand the Scriptures. And you might be visiting us today and say, what's the speed of Jesus? He walked about three miles an hour. And in our society, we want to move so fast and get there so soon that we miss the speed of Jesus. We aren't slow enough to understand what God is doing. We don't read the Bible slow enough. We don't meditate slow enough. We don't pray slow enough. We don't worship slow enough. We don't take time, examine ourselves, and examine the Word of God. And as we're in this season of Lent, that time between Ash Wednesday and Resurrection Sunday, not including the Sundays, as we're examining ourselves, not to see what's wrong with us, but just to see all that Jesus wants to do in us. And that Jesus, all the business that is unfinished in our lives. Not from a point of condemnation, but from a point of expectation of what Jesus wants to do. We're slowing down to try to pick up with what Jesus is saying. Amen. I got a word for somebody. I don't know who it is. And I've seen a pattern, and I really need to preach my message. The Holy Ghost is moving. Um, I've got to say this quickly, so just try to get it by the Spirit. Um, when Jesus points out something in your life that ain't going right, we have a tendency to, to put on shame. Jesus does not point things out to put on shame. He points things out to put on hope that that area of your life will get better. The devil immediately comes speaking in your ear, telling you shame should be living in that spot. And Jesus is telling you, hey, I want to move into that apartment. And then you think about how shame lives there. But we're not going to let that happen to us. Amen? So just receive that. Now repent of your nonsense. Don't get me wrong. But, uh, you know, no shame. We're going to read a bit of a long passage of Scripture. So stick with me for a moment, if you would. It's a good story. It's a familiar story to many. Uh, but we're going to go ahead and read it in its entirety. Because it's a story worth understanding. We're in John chapter 4, like I said. We're going to start in verse 3. Talking about Jesus and he's moving toward Galilee. Are you ready? You there in your Bible? I'll take a sip while you do it. Oh, Jesus. All right, they didn't start my countdown clock. It's perfect. <clears throat> now, Jesus, verse 3, starting in John chapter 4. Jesus left Judea and went away again into Galilee. And he had to pass through Samaria. And he came to a city of Samaria called Sychar, near a parcel of ground that Jacob gave to his son Joseph. And Joseph, Joseph, excuse me, and Jacob's well was there. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. Now, before we move on, I need you to understand what we just read and how radical it is. We go so fast, we miss what the scriptures are telling us. And I'm going to say that several times. Now, Jesus was south of Samaria and was traveling north to Judah, right? And so as he was trying to travel north, the Bible says that he had to pass through Samaria. Now that is an interesting version. Like, why would Jesus have to do anything? He's Jesus, right? Jesus had to pass through Samaria. Now, it is a well-known, historically documented fact that Jews don't travel through Samaria. So as a matter of fact, when you're taking the... Can you mute this mic right here? that one right there. That'll cut down on our echo a little bit. So if you are south of Samaria and they were going to go to north of Samaria, the Jews always went around Samaria. 
It was a well-known fact. They didn't pass through Samaria, because Samaria is a believer mix, and they don't like mixed people, colorism, I don't know exactly, but uh, I like mixed people. Personally, I'm, I'm down with this world, personally. I like it, um, I like my wife and kids, amen. Um, and so, and so, instead of going the way that all the Jews went around Samaria, the Bible says that he had to go through Samaria. So we got to start asking questions. Why did Jesus have to go through Samaria when all the other Jews went around Samaria? Keep that locked away, all right? Are you good? All right, we'll read the Bible. You good with that? Y'all want to learn of this word? All right, I got something to teach today, so it's going to be good. And Jacob's well was there, verse 6. So Jesus, being wearied from his journey, was sitting thus by the well. It was about the sixth hour. There, was, there came a woman of Samaria to draw water. Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. Therefore the Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? For Jews had no dealings with the Samaritans. Jesus answered and said to her, If you knew the gift of God, who it, who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. She said to him, Sir, you have nothing to draw with and the well is deep. Where then do you get that living water? You're not greater than our father Jacob, are you, who gave us his well and drank of it himself and his sons and his cattle? Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again. But whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become in him a well of water springing up to eternal life. The, water, the woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so I will not be thirsty nor come all the way here to draw. He said to her, Go, call your husband and come here. The woman answered and said, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You have correctly said I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one whom you have now have is not your husband. This you have said truly. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you are a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, and you, your people say that in Jerusalem is the place where men ought to worship. Jesus said to her, Woman, don't do that today, right? That's just not, that don't go over well. Woman, especially that's your wife in an argument. Woman, don't, don't be like Jesus there, right? Just... Don't, don't do that. that. That's not going to work out well. Woman, Jesus said to her, Woman, believe me, an hour is coming when neither in this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you do not know. We worship what we know. For salvation is from the Jews. But an hour is coming, and now is, when the true worshipers will worship the Father in spirit and truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know the Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us, Jesus said to her. I, who you speak to, is him. At this point, his disciples came, and they were amazed that he had been speaking to a woman, yet no one said, what do you seek, or why do you speak with her? So the woman left her water pot and went into the city and said to the men, Come, see a man who told me all the things I have done. This is not the Christ, is it? They went out into the city and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, Rabbi, eat. He said, I have no food to eat that you do not know about. I have food to eat that you do not know about. So one disciples, so the disciples, excuse me, I know this language. So the disciples were saying to one another, no one brought him anything to eat, did he? Jesus said, my food is to the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Do you not say there is yet four months and then the harvest? Behold, I say to you, lift up your eyes and look on the fields, and they are white for harvest. Already he who reaps is receiving wages and is gathering fruit for eternal life, so that he who sows and he who reaps may rejoice together for him. In this case, the saying is true, one sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that which you have not labored. Others have labored and have not entered into their labors. Last portion, are you ready? Are you still with me? Good. From that city, many of the Samaritans believed in him because of the word of the woman who testified. He told them all the things I have done. So when the Samaritans came to Jesus, they were asking him to stay with them, and he stayed with them two days. Many more believed because of his word. You say amen to the reading of the word. Amen, amen. Thank you, Mikey. I love the word of God. I'm sad at how little of it we hear in our services when Paul admonished Timothy. 
to make sure and not neglect the reading of the Word. I want to talk to you again, going the way of Jesus. Going the way of Jesus. How, how many want to be in Jesus' will? How, how, many want, how many want everything Jesus has for them? How many, how many want the infilling that Jesus promised them? I, 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 want, I want the victory that Jesus bought for me on the cross. How about you? I want the power of God's Word on the inside of me. How about you? I want every knee to bow and confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. How about you? I want, I want His Word to come alive on the inside of me. How about you? I want to see the power of His Word in my life. Do you know that God has given you the power of the Word of God that you may have victory in this life? Oh, I don't feel like y'all really believe that. How do you believe that God gave you the power of His Word to have victory in this life? He gave you the Spirit of God to have victory in this life. He gave you His name to have victory over the enemy. He gave you the blood of the blood of the Lamb so that you have victory over every unclean spirit that has fallen from heaven and tries to affect the call on your life. The Lord has given you authority over every unclean spirit, over every sickness and every disease. How many of you know that? How many of you know that He has a plan, a future, and a hope for your life? How many know that when the enemy shows up, that God can make him flee seven ways? Do you believe it? I believe it. I believe it. I believe, I believe the Bible that for the Word of God is, is quick and powerful and sharper than any two-edged sword, piercing even to the dividing asunder and soul and spirit and joints and marrow. And it is a discoverer, a discerner, a, 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 a thing that can understand and split up those things, those thoughts and the intents of the heart. This is what the Word of God could do. Amen. This is the power of the Word of God. I want that power in my life. How about you? Holy Spirit, Jesus said, would bring to remembrance everything that Jesus had spoken to us. The Bible says that Holy Spirit will bring to remembrance all things that we have learned. There's a caveat to that. If you haven't learned, there's nothing to bring to remembrance. If you don't understand the Bible, He can't bring it to remembrance because He's only going to bring to remembrance things that are true, not the untrue things that you believed about the Word. And so we have to rightly divide the word of truth so that we can understand it, so the Holy Ghost can bring it to remembrance. We can have power in the moment of trial. Amen. There's a requirement. If you give a four-year-old a gun, he's not going to defend the home. He might shoot mom. He might shoot his own foot. But he don't know how to use that weapon, so it's not useful. And so we need to be able to rightly divide the word of truth. We have to understand this word. And so in order to understand it, we have to study it. I was really dismayed in the last season of church history, and I've talked about that a lot. We watched revivalists turn into racists. We watched Christian business owners turn into blasphemers. And it bothered me greatly that people did not know how to rightly divide the word of truth. Our culture, as we read this story, as we look at the story of the Bible, we unknowingly and unwittingly and, and unpurposefully look at it through the lens of the society we live in. You, you, unless you actively work, you will see other people through your life experience. That's the root of many of our racial and social issues in our country today. We know what we understand, and we put that on to everybody else, and then we judge them based off our experience. Instead of trying to get to know the other, and judge them based on who they are, the content of their character, the life experience that they have lived, there is a, a lie that goes around that one day we'll all be in heaven and we'll all be the same. I, I don't have un, time to unpack it right now, but Revelation shows very clearly that there are many tribes worshiping together in heaven. That means that we are still going to keep our identity in heaven. We get to bring our ethnicity to heaven. We're not all going to become some disembodied, homogenous beings that just worship. You are someone and your culture matters to God. Your understanding matters to God. And He works through culture to redeem mankind. But we have to understand that we view other cultures through our cultures. Does that make sense? Are you tracking with me at all here? Now, 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 every Bible life here, like, I've had this accusation against me time and again. They're just like, Pastor, you just, you just, you preach too deep. It's just too deep. What you need is, and I've been to all the church growth seminars of how you just preach an ankle deep message with catchy little sayings, and that's how you, and I'm just like, I'm, I'm not trying to grow a big church, I'm trying to grow big people. Right, that, that's the goal. 
And so, so, so you're going to have to read the Bible a little bit. You're going to have to talk to some people, maybe join a life group, maybe get involved in some of our devotions so you can understand what's being said so that we can all grow together in the fear and admonition of the Lord. And so we see in this story, it's easy. In coming up, the first church I went to, the church I was discipled in, I was saved in, discipled in, uh, the, this story was preached a lot, and it was preached in the context of the harlot. It, it was preached in the context of the unclean woman that Jesus, in all his majesty, came and decided that this woman was called out of her sin, and Jesus saved her. Now, I, 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 I don't want to challenge that per se, but our, our, it's our culture that tells us to focus on the woman and her sin. And if you recognize when you do that, you're not focusing on Jesus at all. And Jesus is the hero of every story in the New Testament. Amen? It's not the woman. It's not his disciples. God is always the hero of every story. And I would, com- I would, I would, I would submit to you that this sin issue is not the point of this story. It's actually the opposite of Jesus' goal here. That is the carnal mind. So we see here Jesus is traveling through Samaria when Jews don't. And he shows up at a well, right? And he's at this well, and it's not going to go the way that you think. Jesus is going to Galilee, like I said, and normally they go around Samaria, but most Jews are like, why, why? can you imagine being his disciple? At this point, you're, you stop asking questions, right? It didn't take long. Why are we going through Samaria if we're going to Galilee? Why, why are we going? Because, because I have to. Maybe they figured he was tired, a little lazy. Didn't want to take the long route. Going to cheat a little bit. They didn't recognize Jesus doesn't cheat, and everything Jesus does is purposeful. He does everything on purpose. And we have to slow down to understand it. I, w- I want you to see this. They had to go through Samaria to go to the people nobody else went to. I want you to hear this. Going the way of Jesus means going places other people won't go to. I'm going to say it again. Going the way of Jesus means going to places other people won't go to. Where your Christian friends tell you you can't go there, and you're like, but I'm actually carrying Jesus there. There's, I, got a, I got a mission over there. I, got, I, got a, I, I have an assignment in that relationship. I, I, I have to do something the Father has told me to do. And if you learn anything about Jesus as you read the New Testament, you need to see that Jesus will go places where no one else will go. He'll talk to people no one else will talk to to show them his heart for humanity. Jesus meets a Samaritan woman at the well. In order to understand this story, we have to be students of the Word leading up to this story. Otherwise, we will misinterpret this story and we'll think it's all about sin. Are are you ready? Let me give you a little backstory, if I can. Are you ready? Okay, you don't have to turn there, but in Genesis chapter 24, there's a man named Abraham. Abraham had left his city to go build, to seek a city whose builder and maker was God. He had a son uh, named Isaac, and he needed a bride for his son Isaac. So he sent his servants out to go find a bride for his son Isaac. And they went out and they met a woman. They went to a foreign land, met a woman by a well. She offered his camels some water. They, she welcomed them back to her house with her family. And then... The servants decided that this would be a good bride for Isaac, right? This led to Isaac marrying Rebekah. We fast forward to Genesis chapter 28. Rebekah wants a bride for her son, Jacob. And so, again, we send some people out, and uh, there was a, a rock on a well. And these men were trying to move the rock, or they were trying to wait, and Jacob saw these, these, these ladies, and he moved the rock himself, trying to show out a little bit, you know, so he gets the rock off the well, and uh, then they serve some water, and then he went to Rachel's home, and then Rachel's father gave Rachel to Jacob in marriage. So we see this story happening in the Bible about these meetings at the well, and it goes like this. There is uh, someone journeys to a foreign land. A man encounters a woman at a well. Water is drawn from the well. The woman brings good news of the visitor. The family shows hospitality, and then the two are married. This is the pattern of wells, men meeting women in them, at them in Scripture. Did you understand this? So if we were to fast forward to Exodus chapter 2, you remember a man named Moses. 
You remember him, okay? So Moses, again, kills an Egyptian, and he flees, and he runs away to Midian. And at Midian, he shows up at, guess where? A well. He shows up at a well, and there's seven women there, and they're getting harassed by men. And the women are getting harassed by men, and Jesus, excuse me, and then Moses uh, rebukes the men, gets some water. The women tell their families about Moses. Moses goes back to there, and he receives a wife. So we see this pattern, and those Jews who study the Scriptures would understand this pattern of storytelling. Every time you see a man go to a foreign land and meets a woman there, it's a marriage story. It's always a marriage story. And so, so this is the pattern. Now, now you remember, last week we talked in John chapter 3 about Nicodemus. Are you with me? Are you following me still? Uh, this is going to go somewhere good, I promise you. And so in Nicodemus chapter, excuse me, John chapter 3, we learned about Nicodemus. Remember Nick at night? He showed up in the middle of the night to, 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 to meet Jesus because he didn't want to be seen in the daytime. He was on the DL just trying to keep, keep, it, keep it quiet, right? Slide into the DMs, right? And, and on the quiet for Jesus. And he shows up and asks some questions, but he, didn't, but he didn't actually receive Christ there. He's still, a little, he's still a little doubtful. Nicodemus was supposed to be a teacher of Israel. But just like he came in the darkness, the Bible has shown us that there's darkness over Israel at that time. They didn't understand that the Messiah was with them. And as Jesus talked to him, remember this in John chapter 3, verse 10, he said, Are you the teacher of Israel and do not understand these things? And so in John chapter 3, we see someone who's supposed to be a teacher of Israel and is supposed to understand the Messiah. And then we come into John chapter 4 and we see a woman at the well who's Samaritan who is supposed to be cast out from the Jews. You see, you see the story that John is setting up here. Yes or no? Yes, yes, participatory. Those aren't rhetorical questions. That's a, I want you to actually respond to me here. You see, you see how he's setting it up. We have this marriage motif, and now we got this contrast happening. I mean, th- th- this thing, like, like when you when you write a diary, this ain't a diary. This isn't like you know John woke up one day and was like, "You're not going to believe what Jesus did today." That, that's not how this worked, right? This is this is this is a there's a type of literature that is written, this historical literature, and there's a, a long history of it in, in the Jewish tradition, in storytelling, and writing, and patterns, and oral tradition, and how it comes into the written tradition. And if you don't understand that, you'll think this is somebody's diary, and you'll just say, oh, look, Jesus met a woman who was a sinner, and he rebuked her. Like, hmm, might be more. Might be more going on here than, than just, just that. Amen? Are you with me? Are, are, are you with me? All right, let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. Let's do it. And so we see here in John chapter, uh, all right, so we have this meeting with this Samaritan woman at the well, right? John chapter 4, verse 9, it says, therefore, excuse me, therefore, the Samaritan woman said to Jesus, how is it that you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink since I'm a Samaritan woman? For Jews have no no dealings with Samaritans. Now, if you have read the Bible up till now, if you had studied the scriptures and someone was telling you this story, that Jesus was in a foreign land, met a woman at a well. What are you thinking is happening next? We're getting ready for marriage. Right? So Jesus shows up at the well, and so how do we read this scripture? Now, when you watch the videos, this woman looks beat down. Right? She, she looks tired. If you watch any videos about this, she looks ragged. Like, and no one wants nothing to do with this woman. We find out later... She's actually pretty popular with the fellas, right? So, so she probably, she's probably not all that beat down, right? Let's just be honest. Can we just be honest, right? So, so, so we see this, and she's like, she's like I- I'm, I'm out here sitting alone at the well. The other women won't be by me, but some man walks up and wants to talk to me. What's going on now? So we find Jesus in a foreign land at a well with the woman, Every story leads to a wedding. And if John is telling the story, here's a woman. She's like, and I think, I think it sounded more like this. I think it sounded like the woman said to him, How is it you, being a Jew, ask me for a drink? A Samaritan woman. Why are you talking to me? Right? This, this, is, what, this, is, how I, this is how I read this. Because this is how the story follows in the Bible. Do you see that? Why? Hey, what's up? Middle of the day. You know, I get around a little bit, you know. You just show up. You're a rule breaker showing up in Samaria where you're not even supposed to be. 
I'm at the well in the middle of the day where I'm not supposed to be. I'm lonely, you're lonely, you know. Remember, all his fellas had left and gone into town. So he's just rolling solo, right? He's, he's rolling solo. No wingman. It's just him and the girl at the, at the bar, right? At the, at the... Come on, somebody. Right? He's there getting a, getting a drink, right? You get a drink. That's right. I mean, right? You, you hear what I'm saying? So, so, so this is how... I'm not saying anything about evil about Jesus. I'm saying this is how the story is being told. But the best humor is when they say something and they take a turn. That's why it's funny, right? They take a turn. And so here we got a story, and we know where this story is going. The story goes that Jesus marries this woman up the well. But Jesus says to her, verse 10, If you knew the gift of God and who it is who says to you, Give me a drink, you would have asked, and he would have given you some living water. Now, that's not what this woman was expecting, I believe. This is, I believe, I believe she's thinking, All right, he's a cute guy, but he's got no game. Right? He has no idea how to, how to carry this conversation. Right? Here's, because she's looking at him carnally. Here is an Israelite who's willing to break the rules. I'm trying here. Work with me a little bit. Right? Like she's, she's trying to get the flow going. And he's like, if you know the water that I bring, she's like, does that work back in Judea? Does, does that work in Jerusalem? Because that just sounds weird here. Right? You, you hear what I'm saying, right? Like she, didn't, she didn't know the way of Jesus. And, 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 and she didn't recognize when Jesus shows up, it's spiritual. Jesus is operating on spiritual levels in the Samaritan woman's life, in the Scriptures, in your life, and in my life. He's, he's, he's working on levels that the Bible says if you are not in Christ, you don't even understand the ways of God. Because he, He's working on spirit, and he, he speaks to us by His Spirit. And so we don't, we don't understand what's happening. She didn't understand what's happening at all. She had no grid for what Jesus was doing here. So whenever you talk to people about Jesus, we have this... We have this um, mistake of arguing with people about religion, uh, about ethics. We have this, this, this thing about arguing with people about how to worship. And, and it don't make no sense. It, don't, it never works. It doesn't work. It doesn't bear fruit because they don't have the spirit. They cannot understand what you're saying. All they hear is that you are trying to give them rules that they don't want to follow. And so you either make up religion or you turn a little bit and you actually by the Spirit, begin to speak to what somebody needs. When you, when you talk to Jesus, talk about Jesus with people who don't know Him, something spiritual does begin to happen. The Holy Ghost shows up on the scene. And, 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 and Jesus, He's never distracted by what happens in the midst of these conversations. He's focused. This woman is not going to get Jesus off what He wants to talk about. Right? And so He's saying to her, hmm, I, I actually have a river of living water that you could drink from if you knew who I was. Why would He say that to her? Number one, she needed this river of living water. This is what she really needed. Far more than she needed a boyfriend or water out of that well. Revelation tells us about this river. In Revelation chapter 22, verse 1, it says, Then the angel showed John the Revelator a river of the water of life, clear as crystal, coming from the throne of God and of the... Who's that? He says, hey, I got water. I got water that you could drink and you will never be thirsty again. He literally is where the river comes from. And he's like, you don't even know who's standing in front of you right now. I, I see what you're trying to do. And, and I understand you're vocalizing your need, but I'm, I'm going to meet what your real need is. You see this? This, this is the way of Jesus. This is the way of Jesus. The way of Jesus is eternal life. The way of Jesus is eternal life. Watch this. Jesus answered and said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will thirst again, but whoever drinks of the water that I give him shall never thirst. Verse 13 and 14. Shall never thirst, but the water that I will give him will become to him a well of water springing up to eternal life. This is, this is, this is, this is a big deal. Because up till now, Jesus really kept his identity secret to all the Jews. But we find him in Samaria talking to a woman who is marginalized at the well where he's willing to look scandalous for talking to her in the middle of the day. 
We, we have so many dynamics happening at the same time, it's hard for us even to understand the levels that Jesus is working on. And let me just tell some of you right now who are in the midnight hour, you do not understand the levels that Jesus is working on in your life right now. If you stay faithful to Him, you do not understand that He's working behind the scenes in your employment. He's working behind the scenes in your dreams. He's working behind the scenes in your, in your, in your family. He's working behind the scenes in your friendships. God is doing things on levels. He's setting some things up, and it may take a little bit of time, but if you stay faithful, you will see the deliverance of God. If you say amen. Come on, just thank Him for a second. If you stay faithful, God will deliver you out of that circumstance. But you've got to be willing to sacrifice understand what He's doing. This woman, he's trying to let her know, I got something for you that's going to change your life. But you got to be willing to lay down how you think you need your need met. You got to lay down what you think you need and trust that I got something that is far better than anything you could have ever asked for. Hallelujah. I think that's a good word right there. Thank you, Jesus. You know, people, people want eternal life, people actually care about what's happening in the future. Pe- people, people really want their life to amount to something. And if you do not know your Creator, there's no way to know why you were created. If you don't know the one who write, wrote the instruction manual, there's no way you will know how to live your life in a way that fulfills what you are called to do. You are left trying to impress the people around you and get fulfillment from that. And it will never happen. You will never have enough. I, um, I talked to a man one time, not too long ago, and uh, he, was, he was going through a real mental breakdown. And uh, <clears throat> in the natural, it looked like everything was good in his life. Nice house, good family, money in the bank. They weren't, they weren't struggling. Weren't rich. Weren't rich, but weren't struggling. Weren't broke. You know, you understand that, that, that concept. Not, not rich, but not broke. Right? Got enough. And... Uh, but he was going through really bad anxiety, bad depression, just like, because he wasn't getting ahead the way he wanted to get ahead. And I said to him, I said to him, like, we're just talking about it. I said, how, how, how much do you actually need? Like, like, how successful do you actually have to be? And as we were talking, the Spirit of God came in the room, and it, was, it became like, when the Spirit comes, you start getting some clarity. And I said to him, you know, what, 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 what's it going to take in your life to bring you peace? And he said, he said the most truthful thing he could have said that day, he said, just a little bit more. And that's when you live in the world. You never quite get there. You always need just a little bit more. A little bit more assurance that you're loved. A little bit more money to, get, to give you comfort. Just a little bit more popularity to know that you're doing okay. Just a little bit more opportunity. You never, never arrive. You're always learning, never coming to the knowledge of the truth. And this is how the enemy works. The enemy, you could sit on top of the world and he'll make you think, man, there's somebody with a couple more dollars than you. And you start comparing yourself to the, to the, the you're the third richest man in the world. You start comparing yourself to the first richest man in the world. You could buy whole countries. And you're mad you, you can't send rockets to Mars. Like, you don't need to go to Mars. You know, you, you could do something with that money that actually would help somebody. It just, just never enough. Just, just keep building things to soothe your ego. Are you following me here? People actually want something. They want to achieve something. They want to attain something. They want to come into something. And we have that something. His name is Jesus. People need the Holy Ghost of God to fill them so that they can have fellowship with the Savior. People, people need the overflow of the Holy Ghost in their lives so they too can have rivers of living water flowing out of their bellies. But all they know how to do is compare themselves to the person next to them or compare themselves to the job or their mom or their brother or the pastor or, God forbid, just this, this person who's doing stupid stuff. I uh, was grieved in the last week as, as there's a superstar NBA player who grew up in a good family. Grew up going to college and two parents, and he gets into the NBA and decides he's going to start being a thug. I'm like, what, what, and what, what is missing in your life that you think being stupid is going to minister to? Here's a millionaire NBA player going to jail, getting, getting, going to be suspended from the NBA because he wants something that a fake rapper said was, was, was the pinnacle. This man needs river of living water. You understand what I'm saying here? I'm not condemning anybody, but that's just dumb. I swear, if I come into millions, you see me try to act a thug, sit me down. 
Carl, you you 52. It ain't going to work, bro. Ain't no one buying this. It's time to be grown. And we need to be grown and understand what God has done for us and stop striving for things that aren't ours. Quit just like figure out the jealousy in your heart and let it die. So you can come into peace with what God gave you. So there's men in marriages like you need to be at peace with the wife God gave you. You got to quit. Oh, Jesus, I don't want to go there. I'm going to go there anyways, too. I'm going to go there. We have an men's group and we're going to talk about it. You need to quit. I mean, let me just say this. You need to stay off the websites and compare your wife to them. You are never going to be satisfied looking at fiction and comparing God's blessing to fiction. It ain't never going to work. You got you, you got to. You, 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 it don't work. Ladies, some of y'all need to turn off Real Housewives of whatever. You need to quit comparing your husband to, to this fake NBA player. They ain't even a real life anyways. They broke as broke as anyways. They don't tell you that part. Oh, but she got this and that and the other, and they're all about to go bankrupt. You need, you need to, we need to, we need to reframe what we, what we, what we idolize. We've got to reframe what the goals are in our lives. I'm telling you, my goal is to walk with peace, walk with God in peace, right? This is, this is my goal. I want to lead people to Jesus. I want people to drink from wells that will never run dry. I want people to recognize that there are people on TV getting rich off of you idolizing them. Stop giving them your money. Stop giving them your clout. Stop giving them your, your, your joy. Stop giving them your peace. Stop making them think that they're somebody because they're not. They're not. Okay, Carl, just let's stay focused. You know, Pastor Craig, sometimes in the quiet, I don't know if you're thinking or I'm just like, hey, ain't nobody hearing what I'm saying. So I just, I only got one message, so I'm going to preach it. So, I, you know, I appreciate that, Mikey, right there. I appreciate that. I'm, I'm going to just keep doing that. Thank you. Thank you. But the Bible, the Bible, but the Bible's clear. We're going to live forever. You get to choose where that's going to be. I suggest to be with God. Amen. John chapter four. Let's let's go. Let's go. Verse sixteen. So this woman's like, "What you talking to me for? What's what's this? Oh, what's, you spit game? How about this? Living water? I don't know what we're talking about. We can get a drink together." Jesus says this. He says, "Why don't you go call your husband and tell him to come on? Why don't you tell your husband to come on?" This rarely happens to me these days, but every now and then, I'm I'm at an event and there's a woman there who like talks friendly. Now there's a friendly kind of talking that unsafe people do that's just friendly. It makes me uncomfortable, right? It makes me uncomfortable because I'm not used to that, right? And so it is my, what I always do when that happens, when I feel uncomfortable, I always, the first thing I talk about is my wife. I just start talking about my wife. I just start talking about my wife. So, 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 yeah, so I'm, I'm not putting her down, but I'm letting her know and me know I'm married. You know, let's just, I can't be, I can't be tempted because I already brought my wife into this, this situation, right? I just start talking about my wife. Oh, how are you doing? Oh, my wife and I, we pastor church together. Oh, your wife's a pastor. Yeah, yeah. Married two kids. Yeah. Got a house, pastor church. Yeah. Some, some of y'all feel like, man, I just want to see if I still got it. No, you ain't got it. You gave it to your wife when you got married. Okay. You ain't got it no more. She got it. Let her keep it. All right. You, you need to stay faithful to one that you stood in front of Jesus and said, I, you know, through thick and thin, I, before God and these witnesses, I declare. You need to like, like, but I don't like it. Well, you married yet? Well, then you need to stay married. You need to act like you're married. Oh, but he would ever, you know, I'm, if you've been divorced, I'm not trying to heap shame, but you all understand what I'm talking about, right? Amen. 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 Yeah. Come on. All right. So let's just keep going here. Let's just, I'm, I'm, I'm actually doing all right, to be honest. I'm actually doing all right with time. Oh, man, I'm doing good here. They didn't start the clock yet. I'm good. <clears throat> I still got a half hour. All right. Um, John chapter 4, verse 16. She said, he says, well, why don't you just, you know, like, if you think we'd be romantic, why don't you, this is, this is Jesus. Oh, man, that's so cool. Yeah. Why don't you bring your husband over? And she's like, ooh, you throwing salt in my game. What's happening, right? The woman answered and said, I don't have a husband. Why? Right? Jesus says, you, you have correctly said I don't have a husband. You got five husbands. I see you. I see you. Right? You got five husbands. And the one you're with right now ain't your husband. This you have said truly. You done said the truth. Now that's game. That, that right there is like... This, now, now, you understand, in the story, those who are used to reading these stories are like, 
why would he marry someone and he's insulting her? Why? Like, there's people reading this who still don't get, like, this, this is not, like, Jesus is changing the Old Testament story. All these people looking for law in the Old Testament, Jesus is changing the story. Hallelujah. Amen. So the woman said to him, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Now, why would she call Jesus a prophet? What does it mean to be a prophet in the Old Testament times? Prophets did two things. They rebuked and called down judgment, right? They looked back and saw what we did, how we got here, where we are right now, and what we need to do to get into where God wants us. The prophets pretty much only talked in the Old Testament when they were off the path that God had for them. Often it was in um, exile while they were being punished in exile. They didn't follow God. They didn't have the protection of God. So they were being overthrown by the enemy. If you are in the midst of life and it just seems like everything is crazy, you might, I would just gently submit to you, you might want to see where you left God, right? And, and, and sometimes we just go through trials and we don't do nothing wrong. I have some dear friends like that in this very moment. But other times you've got to be like, the Lord untold me to do this. I didn't do that. And now I'm in the midst of chaos. And so the prophets came along saying, listen, you are in sin. God knows you're in sin. You're going to be in punishment because of your sin. If you do not repent, fire and brimstone, you'll go into captivity. And so now Jesus has called her out on some sin. And she says, oh, I perceive you're a prophet. And so you got to know, what does she expect to come next? Judgment, fire, brimstone, rebuke. I mean, prophets did some crazy things in the Old Testament. They don't send some message by cutting some people up into pieces and mailing their pieces. Like that's some that's some that's some mafia stuff, right? Like this things were grimy with them sometimes, right? They do they live crazy lives. So she's like, Sir, I perceive you're a prophet. Now she's like, What is a prophet doing at the well with me, calling out my sin in Samaria by himself? What is going to happen next? And you know, she could have expect him to pull out a jawbone. A prophet in a jawbone is a bad day for most people, right? That's a that's a bad day. Things are not good, right? At a well, throw some water on the offering. Watch out. It's barbecue time and you're getting cooked, right? Like bad day. Bad things are happening. She's saying, sir, I, I, I perceive you're a prophet. And she, then she starts to try to get religious, right? Like, uh, um, 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 I'm right with God. Um, our fathers worship in this mountain. And, and you people say that in Jerusalem, oh, we're, 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 where we ought to worship. See, I, I, I know, I know, I know. Don't judge me. And when you witness to somebody, they always, they always start getting religious. You ever notice that? They're like, oh, no, I'm Episcopalian. Oh, I'm, my dad was a Presbyterian, Presbyterian preacher. You're like, well, okay, we know your dad's in heaven. We don't know about you, right? Let's talk about you. We're talking about you right now. You talk to people about Jesus. They're like, oh, I grew up in church. All right, well, what happened? Right? Did it grow up in you? That's what, that's what we're talking about right now, right? And so, and so, and so you, we need to see this. She, she's ready for the shame, right? She's ready to be shamed, but he's not calling her a whore. He's stating that he knows who he is talking to, and he's telling her that he has walked all the way all the way from where he came from, through the middle of Samaria, just to meet with her. There's something significant happening right now. He had to go through Samaria. Like, I got to. There's a woman at a well living in shame and rejection. The Bible teaches us as we learn the customs that she's at the well in the middle of the day when we know that they are there early in the morning. And so the inference is that she was shunned by the other women and she couldn't be there when they were there. And so... Jesus, like of all, not just the Samaritans who are considered to be outcasts from the Jews. They believe that they betrayed the Jews and that they intermarried people they weren't supposed to marry with. And this woman, not just a Samaritan, but a, a woman who is not married to one of the many men that she had been with, apparently. We don't know if they had divorced her because she couldn't have a child. We don't know that if she had been raped and they had called it a marriage. We don't know why she had all this many husbands. Many of us assume that it was a sin factor, but the Bible doesn't actually specifically tell us that. we got to check that we're looking at this through Western lenses. We don't know what happened to her. We do know that she's in a bad place. Amen. We see hurting people. We need to stop judging them for what got them there. We need to see this person is in a hurting place. So Jesus didn't just go to Samaria. He went to this woman who's being shunned by all the people. And he didn't go with all his boys. He went solo. He went on his own. Right? He wasn't waiting for his fellows to give him 
just I'm, I'm here, me and you. I'm willing to take the chain to minister to you. Again, again, again. We see Nicodemus comes at night. Here's Jesus with this woman in the middle of the day. We see the contrast between these two stories here. We see Nicodemus, who's supposed to be a teacher of Israel. And then we see this woman, an outcast, who's not considered to know anything. But she's at least humble enough to say, I see that you're a prophet. The one who should have recognized that Jesus was the final great prophet wasn't so sure he left unsure. Nicodemus in John 3. But in John 4, we see the Samaritan woman who we've talked down about for 2,000 years. Able to discern this one is a prophet. This one has some living water. I'm I'm hungry. We We see pride, spiritual pride. Got a man nothing. And then we see humility. Had a one-on-one encounter in the middle of Samaria. Do you, you see what's happening here in the Scriptures? you see the Jesus that John is telling us about? Come on up, man, if you would. Why would Jesus, why would Jesus do this? Why, 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 would, why would Jesus call out that she had all these men? Why would, we, why would He do that? Did He do it? I mean, we've got to ask. Did He do it because He wanted her to just stop like sleeping around? Was that, is that the point? Did, 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 was he trying to give us a sexual ethic? Because I think the Bible is pretty clear on sexual ethics. I think I, I personally believe it's very clear on sexual ethics. So I don't I don't know that he was trying to to shame her per se. I don't I don't I don't see that being as part of the story. Why would Jesus call out what's wrong with her? Because he wants to make it right. Why why does why does Jesus call out sin? He wants to heal it. Why did he give someone a word of knowledge about sickness? Because he wants to heal. Why did he show somebody about your broken marriage? Because he wants to make it whole. Jesus comes to put his God plans in your heart so he can come and fulfill them. This is what's happening. Come on. This is what's happening. Come on. One class, we all clap. This is what's happening. Look in the Scriptures. Who does Jesus rebuke? He never rebukes hurting people. He never hurts the downcast. He never hurts the broken. He never rebukes those who are on the, on the, on the margins of society. He only rebukes religious leaders who refuse to acknowledge their own sin. Paul codified this in 1 Timothy chapter 5. He says, Do not receive an accusation against an elder except on the basis of two or three witnesses. Those who continue in sin, watch this, rebuke in the presence of everybody, so that the rest will be fearful of sinning. And then Paul says this to let Timothy know, I know you might get scared to do this publicly and people may not like you, but I'm going to just add a little something onto it. I solemnly charge you in the presence of God and of Jesus Christ and of His chosen angels to maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. What you going to do? You find an elder in sin who won't repent. What do you do? You can say, well, I, I'm a man of the Word. Or I'm going to show some partiality and be wrong with God. Mm. Personally, I'm going to stay right with God. How about you? Yeah, yeah, yeah. And this is what we have in the church happening today is I have a... Oh, I probably shouldn't say this, but I'm going to... Anyways, there's a, a dear couple that I love in the Lord. And uh, they, they moved out of town uh, for a job. I love them. They wound up at a church. Big church, fancy church. Popular preacher. A couple months into them being there, pastor decided he wanted a girlfriend. Which is fine, except he's married. That's a problem, right? If you haven't read that far in the book yet, that's kind of a no-no. Right, Duke? That's a no-no, right? You're in the men's ministry. We don't teach that, right? Yeah, we don't teach that. Pastor Rick, we don't... That's a no-no. And so what they do? What they do? Well, he's a big popular preacher, and the whole church is pretty much based on him. And so they just quietly had him not preach for a couple months. Then they put him back in the pulpit. This is what they did. And I just look where it says... I solemnly charge you in the presence of God. You're like, ooh, in God. And of Jesus Christ. Ooh, that's, 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 okay, he went there. And his chosen angels. Hmm, where are we going with this? To maintain these principles without bias, doing nothing in a spirit of partiality. 
So Jesus is serious about some sin. He is serious about sin. I don't, I don't want you to get anything out of the story I just told you to say Jesus doesn't care about sin. I don't want you, I don't want you, to, I don't want you to get that. I, I want you to see he's serious about sin. But he don't call people out on their sin publicly. He gives them an opportunity to repent privately. And unless you're an elder, nobody ever needs to know about it. We're working on things here, right? Unless you're an elder, nobody ever needs to know about it. And if you repent, you're good to go. Are you with me? So Jesus called out the Pharisees and the Sadducees publicly because he had to. And so I want you to think how you read the Bible and how you read the Scripture. Historically, how have you reacted to people calling you out on your sin? I hear people talk about church hurt a lot these days. You hear that, right? People got church hurt. When someone rebukes you of your sin, that ain't church hurt. That's not church hurt. That's somebody called you out on your sin. Oh, you won't wink at my sin. No, that, that ain't church hurt. That, that's called being a faithful friend. If you sabotage in your life and someone tells you about it, that ain't church hurt. Oh, I want to sing on the worship team. But, you know, you live with someone that you ain't married to. Like, oh, church hurt, why are you judging me? That ain't church hurt. That's, that, 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 that's, that's called discipline. That, that, the Bible talks about that. That ain't church hurt. That's an open door for you to walk into God's plan. We got to discern between conviction and church hurt. Watch this. John chapter 4, verse 25. Let's finish our story. The woman said to Jesus, I know that Messiah is coming. That, that's not what Nicodemus said. I know that Messiah is coming, he who is called Christ. When that one comes, he will declare all things to us. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Now, I want you to see something here. This is the very first time he revealed who he was to anybody in the Bible. And he revealed himself to the woman by the well. Now, she ain't repented yet, right? There's no repentance here. She's done no restoration. She hasn't done a three-month process of, of reinstatement. She's just the sinner woman who was willing. Watch this. This is what I want you to get from this. Who was willing to be real before God about what's going on in her life. And as she was vulnerable with Jesus, Jesus was vulnerable with her and revealed who he was in her life. You see that? That's a big deal. This is a big deal. Jesus tells this woman that he is the Messiah. The Bible tells us in this story, I don't have time to read it, that the disciples showed up and they were like, what are you doing talking to this woman? What in the world is happening? We love you, Brendan. We really do love you. I preach so long, they're probably not listening at this point anyways. It's good. You're listening? Oh, thank you. I appreciate that. Now, the disciples weren't saved yet. They, they, they didn't understand what was happening. Why are you talking to this woman? And Jesus said, listen, now is the hour. The Father is raising up real worshipers who will worship in spirit and truth. It's, it's not enough to just know that Jesus is the prophet. It's not just enough to know that he's a rabbi. Not just enough to know that he's a teacher. They need the Spirit of God working on the inside of them. And we see, for the very first time, we see a woman who has this Spirit working on the inside of her. What happens? What happens in the story, Pastor? Well, it actually sticks to the biblical narrative. It sticks to the biblical the, 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 the pattern. The Bible says that this woman... After they drew this water, 
Jesus talked to her. She ran into the town telling everybody that the Messiah had come. He knew everything about my life. Just like the pattern where they go and they tell the people that the man had showed up. And you're like, well, what about the marriage? Well, if you go to the back of the book, this all leads to the marriage supper of the Lamb. It all leads to the wedding day. And Jesus granted this woman to be counted as a disciple of His. And if you read it, ladies, you feel called to preach. If you read it real closely, verse 28, it says, So the woman left, left her water pot, went into the city, and told the men what to do. A lot of a lot of false teachings talking about women can't preach. Except Jesus done just commissioned an evangelist who preached to the whole town. Y'all need to come and y'all need to come right now and get my revelation. You need to get on my level. Like, is that really what happened? We read in Acts chapter eight that the apostles sent men to Sychar or Sychar, however you pronounce it where there was a church established before the apostles even got there. Because Jesus himself had planted a church through this woman. Stand with me if you would. I'm going to let you go. I've preached for a long time. Listen, we need to go the way of Jesus. As you're traveling out this week, as you are talking to your family that has done lost their minds and are acting a fool, it's important that you are able to recognize how Jesus sees those people. It's important that we go the way of Jesus. We go places that other people don't go so we can reach people that other people can't reach. That we don't argue with them about religion. We don't argue with them about customs. We don't argue with them about politics. But we let them know about the gift of God and the Savior, Jesus Christ, who was raised up on a cross for their sins. What was this message that the woman preached? What did she preach that was so compelling? Come and see the man who knew everything about me. Listen, friend, you don't have to be the apostle, prophet, evangelist, pastor, and teacher. All you got to do is just tell people, come and see what Jesus is doing. Come and see what God is doing. Come and see him who knew everything that was going on in my life. So today I want to invite you in. I want to invite you in on this journey with Jesus. The countercultural revolutionary. Did you get anything out of the word today? You feel like you got your money's worth? For those who got it for free, I want the conviction of the Lord on your A little bit, but it's not. I want to pray today. I want to pray for two people. I want to pray for those who are away from God, that they would recognize that Jesus has just shown up at your well with rivers of living water. And I want to pray for those who've been so religious so long, they ain't had a drink and need a refreshing of the well that will never run dry. Father, in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we come before you humble. We don't come to you as, 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 as Nicodemus who thinks he knows everything and is supposed to be in charge. We come to you as a woman at the well, Father. We know that our heart is determined by how we view the stories in the Bible and who we resonate with, Father. 
We know the religious resonate like they're Jesus rebuking. And the poor in spirit, the humble, the ones you're coming back for, resonate with the woman. Lord, I thank you that you know that we all have issues just like she did. I thank you that you know that we all got shortcomings just like she did. That we all are in a place we ought not be on some level. And yet you chose to come to that place where we have set up camp with, with, with disappointment, with a lack of expectation, with, 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 with rejection in our hearts. And you come with your rivers of living water. Father, I pray, I pray that you would come and visit us today with your rivers of living water. I pray in the name of Jesus that you would soften our hearts to receive the gift that you have for us. I pray in the name of Jesus you will forgive us of our spiritual pride that has kept us from encountering you daily. Our spiritual pride that says that I've already been there and I've done that and I'm no longer impressed with that. I've moved on to something else, Father. I pray in the name of Jesus for that person in here today who resonates with what I'm saying, that person who says, I need rivers of living water. I need to be washed clean. I need to be renewed. I need the life of Jesus on the inside of me. I need a fresh encounter with Jesus so that my heart can be turned away from being Nicodemus and being turned toward being the woman at the well who unashamedly talked to Jesus, who unashamedly received his grace, who unashamedly confessed her shortcomings. Jesus. We ask your spirit to come right now. In the name of Jesus, that you would rend hearts, Father. We want to be one with you, Jesus, by your spirit. We want to walk with you in the cool of the day. Oh, I want to have an altar call so bad, but the Lord won't let me. Here's what I want you to do. Just close your eyes and bow your head. And I just want you to ask Jesus what you have for me today. Would you call me to repent of my spiritual pride? Are you putting someone on my heart that I need to tell, come, come and see, come and see? In this period of Lent, the Lord has put a specific number of people on my heart that I'm supposed to lead to Christ. Maybe you should do the same. Maybe there's a specific number of people the Lord wants you to bring to church this year. Maybe before Easter. Maybe next week. I don't know. Between you and Jesus. But as your eyes are closed and your head is bowed, if you're away from God, I want you to just ask Him right now, Lord, Lord, I want you to just come into my life. I'm more like that woman by the well than I am what I thought I was. And I need you to come and save me from who I thought I was. I need your living water. I got a pot and I can draw from these wells of the world, but I have no ability to drink your living water. I'm drinking stale water. Haven't been in your word, haven't been in prayer, haven't been faithful in my finances. I have not been faithful to serve in the house of God. And I need you, Lord, to restore me. Search my heart, Jesus. That I may know your ways. We'll give you like 20 seconds, and then we're going to sing together. When we start singing, if you want someone to agree with you in prayer, I'm going to invite you to come to the front, and we'll have just one of our 
leader is going to pray for you. They're not going to pray for everyone, but they are going to pray for you. The Lord has laid out his altar today, and I believe he's looking for a sacrifice on it. And I believe the Lord will send his fire and consume that sacrifice and set it on fire for him.